0: Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Dr. Susie Wu and Monique, who are Go Red for Women ambassadors. February is American Heart Month, and we are going to take a deeper look at heart disease and stroke in women. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for having me. Dr. Wu, how common is heart disease and stroke in women?
1: Cardiovascular disease, which you described as heart disease and stroke, is the leading cause of death for women and has been for many years, um, since the mid-1980s when we've been tracking this. And it's something that not all women have known. This was really demonstrated in surveys back in 1997 that the American Heart Association started to look at awareness. Back then, only 30% of women knew that heart disease and stroke were the leading cause of death. The American Heart Association founded this Go Red movement, to really increased that awareness over time. And it's made great changes. But but the latest survey says that even now, only 50 to 60% people know this.
0: Now, one of the major risk factors of heart disease and stroke or cardiovascular, did I say that right, is high blood pressure. So Dr. Wu, can you talk about why managing high blood pressure is important?
1: High blood pressure is a major risk factor for all cardiovascular disease. So it increases your risk for heart attack, for stroke, for arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation, for heart failure. And that's something that not all people know, that it can really impact your risk for all types of cardiac diseases and even other systems. So it affects your kidneys, it can affect your eyes. I even saw a connection this morning and some research that connected with a higher risk of epilepsy. So really? it affects the whole body. And so mm. hypertension or high, high blood pressure is so important in reducing your risk for all of those things. It's one of the most prevalent risk factors and the most common risk factors in the population. And that's why it affects so many people. And when people like 75 year olds, of the population will have that at that age. And so age is a big risk factor, but more and more we're seeing younger people with high blood pressure and trying to act early on it. I think it's somewhat connected to the epidemic of obesity because of some of the risk factors that go together with that. There's increasing salt in our diet and people are less active. All those things make a huge difference.
0: Monique, I understand that you have a personal journey with high blood pressure. Can you share?
2: Yes, I do. I've had high blood pressure for 19 and a half years now. I went to my regular doctor's appointment in my 35th week of pregnancy. And of course, when you get to the doctor's office, they take your blood pressure. And the nurse was surprised to see my blood pressure was 211 over 108. So that was extremely high. So I laid down in the office for a bit and she took it again and it was still high. So she told me I'd go over to ER to have my blood pressure monitored. So I thought I'd be in ER with a cuff on my arm. And then I was admitted. They rolled out a wheelchair. How scary. Yeah, it was very scary. Rolled out a wheelchair and said, we're going to watch you. So I was in the hospital for four hours and I had worked all day. I was thinking I'd go right back home. Then my doctor came in and he told me I needed to have the baby immediately and that I would be ambulanced from a federal Way hospital to Tacoma. I was 35 weeks. So I was sent in an ambulance, never rode in an ambulance in my life. And this was all based on my blood pressure. So I got to the hospital, stayed the night. And then in the morning is when I was told how sick I was. And that's when I heard I had preeclampsia. So that's high blood pressure in pregnancy. Never heard of preeclampsia. Couldn't even pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) I was told that I would be induced within three days, and they wanted to develop my baby's lungs. So that's indeed what happened. I was induced three days later, had a healthy baby, five pounds, four ounces, and that's my 19-year-old today. But my blood pressure remained high. So even after delivering, I was on bed rest for another three days. Wow. So that's when my journey began.
1: And so it wasn't just connected with pregnancy, it continued. I think it's so great that you're sharing this story, Monique, because well, it helps demonstrate how we're starting to recognize some of these factors, risk factors that are specific to women. And one of those are pregnancy-related complications like preeclampsia and gestational diabetes because we think of pregnancy as a sort of stress test and it kind of unmasks some of these metabolic or vascular, you know, vessel-related dysfunctions that might be present. And so it's included in the guidelines now to take these types of specific women-specific risk factors
2: into account.
0: Right. And that they took it very seriously oh, and they acted did. on they it.
2: They did, which was really important.
0: And is that hereditary? Will that pass high blood pressure?
2: Okay. But high blood pressure is hereditary. Yes, My it can be. father had it. My mother has it. I have it. My sister has it. So it is hereditary. So you didn't have any symptoms that you knew of? No, no. So when I, again, I was in my 35th week. I wasn't even at weekly prenatal appointments. So I just grabbed my purse, put on my flip-flops, went out the door to my doctor's appointment. And I felt fine. I had worked all day. I was going to return to work the next day. And when they wheeled out the wheelchair at ER, I said, I don't need this. I'm fine. (laughs) It was two hours in the hospital before I started seeing spots in front of my eyes. But prior to that, no symptoms. I had some swelling in my feet, but that's to be expected. It was summer. I was pregnant. But other than that, no symptoms.
0: So how would somebody know if they had high blood pressure, if they didn't get diagnosed at the doctor?
2: What I do to this day is to take my blood pressure regularly. So I take it two or three times a week. At home? At home.
1: I think her story demonstrates why hypertension or high blood pressure is called the silent killer. Because a lot of people will not have symptoms uh, until their blood pressure is extremely high. And so it's important to go to those regular checkups and be proactive about checking it every so often. And if you do have high blood pressure, Studies have shown that people do better and have better blood pressure control if they check at home. And so it's great to have a cuff available to just check like you have been.
0: So somebody listening, maybe they're like, huh, I wonder if I have it. And they happen to be picking up a prescription and they see that little chair with the cuff. Is that a good way to start checking exactly. things Exactly.
1: There's been people who have come to my office because they've checked it at tells or some local mm-hmm. pharmacy or grocery store. And they said, well, I thought I'd get it checked out a little closer. And there's been other people who haven't seen a doctor in years, but they want to get their teeth fixed and the dentist checks it. And they come to me with new high blood pressure.
0: And I know with the Go Red, that has been something that has helped people become more aware. If somebody learned that they had high blood pressure, like you said, they went to the dentist, they came to you, what would be the best next steps
1: for them? Well, I think just making the diagnosis is important, knowing that it's just not a one-off thing or white coat hypertension. So that's where the home blood pressure cuff can be useful. Uh, It's good for people to know and be educated about what an ideal blood pressure is. Really ideal is less than 120 over 80. And people say, oh, wow, that's awfully low. But that's actually what ideal is. I think there's been some creep in what we think of as a, a normal blood pressure, just as we've gotten used to higher and higher weight. Knowing that and knowing what the goal should be for your blood pressure, for most people is going to be less than 130 over 80. And just keeping track of that and keeping an open communication with your doctor.
0: I just was thinking when you were talking that you said those high numbers. And it occurred to me, I don't know what a normal... Number is. Right. So again, educating ourselves on this. We were talking about management.
2: Right now, I am really well at managing my, my blood pressure, but I have to admit that I have not always been. I've had it for 19 years, and it's probably taken me 17 years to really take it serious. As I mentioned, I had my baby premature. So I was overwhelmed at 36 weeks. So he was early, unexpected. And so I was more concentrating on taking care of him than myself.
0: Typical mom.
2: For the most part, it was just medication that I took to manage my blood pressure. But in recent years, I've had a few things that have made me realize that I need to take it a little more serious. Ten years ago, my dad died of congenital heart failure. And it was sudden. And then in the last few years, my mom's been diagnosed with heart disease and she also um, had four surgeries and then she's had a pacemaker for a year and now she's living with congestive heart failure. So I feel like I have one foot in the door and so I really need to take my blood pressure serious. So what I've done in recent years is I tend to work out. At least three to five days a week my coworkers can see me lacing up my shoes and they know i'm going on my walk when weather permits so i normally get in about two miles a day i also go to the gym and take a class that i enjoy so it's really important to find things that you enjoy and that you like doing so i like walking i go walking with my husband and i like the classes that i attend also a healthy diet is really important i love carbs i love fries i love potato chips i love soda
0: you're talking my language
2: (laughs) (laughs) so really putting those down and eating a more healthy diet Mm -hmm. and also taking my blood pressure medication of course and my blood pressure but the hardest thing for me has been my weight weight control i have noticed when my blood pressure is down my weight is down So that's something that I'm always struggling with. But with a healthy diet, exercise, I'm feeling better and just have put it a part of my life.
0: Well, and I love it that your purpose is for your heart, because when we do it to lose weight, sometimes that's not a good enough motivator. But talk to me a little bit about denial, because that seems to be something that I think people really struggle with.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard that people a lot of people with high blood pressure that's the first thing that that happens to them in terms of I was I was so healthy and all of a sudden my blood pressure is high and I have to take medications and it's just that really hard leap of being I was healthy and now I'm I'm kind of sick. And so it's it's hard for people to say, "Oh, I have to take a medication every day," especially when they're not having symptoms and they don't feel terribly bad all the time and maybe they have side effects and they feel a little worse with with medications at first. And mm. so we like to give patients a chance to turn those lifestyle things around. But it's hard because lifestyle is a hard thing to change. And so those things, you can only wait so long before you say we have to take action. And sometimes it's hard to exercise when your blood pressure goes even higher. And and you can exercise because your blood pressure is getting in the way, the high blood pressure. And so that's when you really do have to depend on the meds. And, and start them so that people can make those lifestyle changes and hopefully ultimately get off those medications. That's always our hope, that we don't have to use the medications forever. And the other thing, it's also hard because some people feel like they're doing everything right, and even then their blood pressure is high, and they feel like it's some kind of failure, right? And I try to help patients not, not feel so guilty about it. There's some things that are not under our control. It can be genetic, like in your case, that there's a predisposition for it. And it's just one of those things of aging. As we get older, our body changes. We know that our joints get stiffer and our arteries get stiffer too, but that's harder to accept as something that we need to treat, right? I try to make patients feel like, understand that it's, it's very common and it's better to prevent all those complications. So to be proactive about it and prevention is better.
2: And that's really been big for me as to why I didn't take it as serious because I had no symptoms. So it's just taking medication. I hate taking medication. I don't even like taking aspirin. It took to see that my father died and that my mom's sick from the disease to really take it serious and know that I need to take my blood pressure and monitor it and make it a part of my life.
0: And I saw you nod your head when she said sometimes you start taking the medicine, you don't have any symptoms, and then you feel bad.
2: I've been on medication for so long now that really early on, I may have had some side effects, Mm -hmm. but I don't now. It's just the fact that I don't like taking medication. So what I do, because I'm not great at it, I put reminders on my phone. So I have a reminder on my phone every day to take my medication.
1: Doctor, if you don't take it daily, does it help? It's really best to take it daily. Mm -hmm. People can get into trouble when they forget to refill it and come in. I've even had patients who get admitted into the hospital because they didn't think it was a big deal to miss it for a week or something, and their blood pressure shot up so high. I think it's interesting because it's true. A lot of people, it's more the idea of taking medications than it is any side effect in particular. And, I'll, and actually, sometimes people feel better when their blood pressure is under control. They feel so much better. Um, and so I think it's just getting over that initial psychological hump that's, that's very difficult.
0: I'm a life coach, my other job, and mindset is so important. People decide something and then that's where they come from. It's like they almost have to let go of what they thought. Well, I don't have any symptoms, so I don't have it. It is really a mindset
1: Issue. And it's always hard to think long term, like any 20 point increase in your top number, the systolic blood pressure doubles your risk of cardiovascular death. Right. So that's a big deal. But it's hard to think so abstractly until someone like your mother or father brings it home to you. So I think your story really illustrates that.
0: Can we briefly touch on when you know you're having
1: a heart attack or when you know you're having a stroke? So warning signs, the most common that we talk about is chest pain, but I would say that a lot of people do not actually experience something that they would call pain. It can be a tightness, it can be squeezing, it can be just a just a sense of discomfort and and many people just describe a gen- like the worst episode of indigestion ever. It can not even always be in the chest. It can be up in the neck or jaw or upper back um, between the shoulder blades. But typically with a, a serious heart attack, it would be multiple symptoms. You might feel short of breath or sweaty or something like that. So anything that seems off, unusual, very unusual and especially if you have risk factors. So know if you have risk factors.
0: I think that people are kind of like, oh, I'm having pain, but I'm not gonna go to the doctor. Or I'm not, you know, people don't wanna make a scene or whatever, but what is the best thing?
1: You have short of breath, you've got this pain, what is the best thing to do? If there's any concern you're having a heart attack, you should call 911 and get help. I mean, it's best if you have a doctor that knows you well, have a regular practitioner that knows you and can guide you. Uh, talk through the symptoms if you have time. But if it's an emergency, you should go.
0: I'm a single mom. that had all my kids at home, and I woke up with this intense pain. And I thought, I got to go to the hospital. But I'm a single mom at home. So the next morning, I went into my doctor, and they did all the tests. And it, w- it was indigestion. It really hurt. I started being embarrassed. And the nurse was like, no, you did the right thing. And I'm like, but I'm so embarrassed. They wanted me to really hold on to that I did the right thing. And I think that's what's important.
1: It's better to get it checked out, Yeah, exactly, because we say time is muscle for heart attacks. If you wait too long, more heart muscle dies. I think that's maybe why some women have a delay in diagnosis, because we, we don't want to bother anyone. Right. And it's easy to explain away symptoms. I've seen this in men, too, that it gets until you really know there's something wrong before you take action. People say, oh, I should have come in sooner. Just don't wait. Listen to your body, listen to your intuitions and kind of take action. So stroke, what are the signs of stroke? So stroke can be slurring of speech. It can even be subtle things like imbalance, it'd be weakness on one side of the body or numbness tingling on one side of the body, visual changes where there's blackout of, of part of your vision. Those are all potential signs of stroke. And the problem with stroke is that there's no pain. So people don't tend to come to the ER right away, right? It's something that they think might go away. But if it goes on longer, they say, oh, maybe I should get it checked out. It's harder for people to come in sooner for stroke, but it can be just as or even more devastating if they wait.
0: I was talking to a friend of mine in another state and she her speech was slurring, but I know she takes meds at night. And the next morning, her husband texted me and said she had a stroke. I felt horrible. It was one of those things I want to be aware of the symptoms. And I'd rather be wrong, call her husband, say she's slurring her speech and have him say it's her medication. Right. I'm so glad that she survived it. I was the last one to talk to her.
1: Yes. Often it's family members that notice it more than the patient. They see part of the face drooping on one side or they notice that someone's fumbling with things or dropping things on one side and it's not the patient themselves. So it's really good to keep good eye on your friends and family. Yeah.
0: And Monique, you've learned so much in these 19 years. What do you want women to know? You're an ambassador. For me personally,
2: I want other women to know that have high blood pressure that it can be managed and it requires a lifestyle change. And that's what it took for me, for me to take my um, health seriously. Um, I put reminders in my phone to exercise. I mark it as an appointment to go on my walks at lunch. You know, there might be days that I'm extremely busy. I'll look at my whole week and know that maybe I have to go on my walk at 10 o'clock in the morning or maybe I have to go to the gym at 5 30 in the morning but just making it a point to get in exercise I know exercise really helps me I feel better I still have high blood pressure but at least it's you know manageable and more in a range that my doctors are okay with also You know, I used to hate pulling out my blood pressure cuff. I felt like I was dusting it off. (laughs) So really getting into the habit of using my blood pressure cuff and then getting my prescriptions renewed regularly and not running out of any of my medication and then a healthy diet. So it sounds
0: like you've really had to incorporate habits. Exactly. Habits of priority of exercise and then reminding yourself habits of making sure your medication, habits of actually doing and taking
2: the medications. And with those reminders on my phone and I wear an Apple Watch, so seeing my consistency gives me more motivation too. If I'm walking or exercising 30 days in a row, that's more motivation. I don't want to stop. I would say find something that you enjoy. It could be walking, dancing. I completed all my exercise goals for the month last February when it snowed. And so what I did, because at that point, I think I was at like 26 days. I'm like, I'm not going to lose it behind four days. So I danced in the house. My kids were like, what is she doing? But, (laughs) you know, just find something that you enjoy.
1: And if you have little kids, they enjoy that too. I think it's absolutely true how much exercise and diet and all those lifestyle changes can make a difference. I mean, we know that those interventions, lifestyle habits can make as much a difference as a medication, right? So any, any one of those things can lower your blood pressure by five points and diet by 10, 11, 15 points. So the combination of all those things makes such a big difference. Other lifestyle things, you know, limiting salt. We as Americans take in about three times as much salt as we should. Something that people don't always know is that increasing potassium in your diet can make a big difference in lowering your blood pressure. So it's not only limiting salt, but increasing potassium Avoiding anti-inflammatories and too much alcohol, and getting in that that exercise are all so important. So we
0: understand the Go Red for Women luncheons are coming up, right? Yes. So can you? We have a few
1: minutes left. Can you tell us a little bit about them? I know for me it was great education, but right. We typically have a, a more than one speaker, maybe one or two speakers. Uh, typically, at least one survivor or ambassador that talks about their story. It's just a great gathering of leaders and women that are passionate about the American Heart Association and their mission of raising funding for research and and um, awareness in the community. And uh, it's just uh, exp- inspiring and and just fun. You know? I
0: remember that. It was fun. And yeah. they had people texting in and hashtags, and then they were putting them up on the board. So it was really fun. It was like tracking, Everything. It was so cool. Great little goodie bags and Yeah, like. that was
2: cool. <laughs> I've attended the luncheons. This will be my third year in a row. And I encourage any and all to attend. They're fun events. There'll be two events in Seattle and in Tacoma. And in Seattle it's February twenty eighth at the Weston Hotel. And Tacoma is March eleventh at the Hotel Morano. Um so again this has been this will be my third year. I normally take a girlfriend or a coworker, As Dr. Wu said, they are fun events. But last year um, was a little emotional for me. And that was because my mom had been diagnosed with heart disease. So it'd been a really difficult year for us. And at the time that I went to the luncheon, she'd only had her pacemaker for a month. So at the luncheon, I just sat back and was thinking about her and reflecting on the fact that she's a survivor. And that if you find out about your heart health early, there are treatments that can help you and you can go on to live a, a vibrant life.
0: So we've been talking to Dr. Wu and Monique. How can people find out more, help volunteer, donate? The American Heart
1: Association website is a great resource for ways to volunteer in small ways or in bigger ways. If you want to donate or even go to one of these luncheons, uh, they'd be happy to have you. And so uh, just take a peek there or contact the American Heart Association. They've got great ambassadors and staff. And so American
0: Heart Association, is that .org? Yes. Okay.
2: And you could also go to goredforwomen.org, and that's where you can purchase tickets for the the women's luncheon. And you'll just need to go in and put in your zip code, and it'll take you to a luncheon in your area.
0: That's great. And so if you know someone that you think has high blood pressure, take them, even if you don't, right, Except. to get the education. And I know that the speakers were very moving. There was a young girl who had, I guess they said she was playing like basketball and dropped dead the year I was there, and then they uh, had to revive her, and then her, she shared her journey and her poor parents. But they caught it, and they were able to save her, and that was very emotional but also encouraging.
1: Yes. Yeah. So we've just got a couple minutes. Anything we've missed? I I guess I would just say take care of yourselves and maybe take this opportunity to pick one little thing that you might want to do in recognition of Heart Month. Maybe it's making sure every meal has vegetables or taking an extra walk this week or doing something or talking to a friend or just exploring your own family history. It can be something simple like that just to take one step closer in, in looking at your heart health.
2: And I would definitely say incorporating just little things into your lifestyle to get active, to eat healthier. I also really enjoy going to the American Heart Association website. There's a lot of information. A lot of women in similar situations with heart disease or high blood pressure. So you can get a lot of great information there. Seeing all their posts on social media. If you go to the luncheon, be sure to post #GoRedSouthSound go Seattle.
0: Hashtags are fun. I still don't get them, but I did them at that event. One thing that comes up for me is self-care. We think of self-care as bubble bath, but I'm thinking self-care is more making those habits of exercise and taking your meds and eating right and drinking water, those things that we take for granted, and as moms and women, we sort of don't. Think that's as important for us but we
1: want our daughters to do it the best way is for us to do it right It's right. true but I think you know for for a lot of people that bubble bath can be taking care of yeah. yourself too <laughs> that <is. laughs> uh, exactly I mean there's it's a stressful society and stress is definitely a risk factor and can raise people's blood pressures for sure so managing stress is a is a good target as well and if it's a bubble bath, take it. Um, That's just use it as an excuse. It's good for your, it's good for your heart. It's good for your body. The doctor said I need a
0: bubble (laughs) bath. Well, Dr. Wu and Monique, thank you so much for bringing us more awareness and for you sharing your story. And I just feel like I've learned so much. And I know if if people go to this uh, luncheon, they will learn so much. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something. I know I have. (laughs) Join us next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community. The cold is temporary. The impact is not. Grab your friends and get your costumes. Anyone with a little courage, a warm heart, and a desire to support a worthy cause is welcome to join in Freezing for a Reason. The Polar Plunge is a unique opportunity for individuals, organizations, and businesses to support Special Olympic athletes by collecting pledges and plunging into the Puget Sound. To chicken to plunge, cheer on from the sidelines in the chicken coop. You can still raise funds and win prizes make a difference in the lives of countless local athletes without getting wet. Are you ready to plunge? Seattle Polar Plunge, February 22nd, Cordis Polar Plunge, March 14th. Support Special Olympics by going to their webpage, polarplungewa.com. L-E-T-R, Law Enforcement Torch Run, is the largest public awareness and fundraising vehicle for Special Olympics. Another is the statewide Polar Plunge event series, polarplungewa.com. It's through mid-March, Special Olympics Washington and L-E-T-R are hosting five Polar Plunges, two, still to go in Washington. Seattle Polar Plunge, February 22nd. Being the largest of the series, the total fundraising goal is $400,000. And as of today, they are more than halfway there. The cold is temporary. The impact is not. So grab your friends, and start freezing for a reason with the Polar Plunge. Oh, by the way, it is also Alki Winter Beer Festival, and you can get tickets on the website as well. You can plunge solo or as a group. You can plunge as part of Cool Schools, which is an awesome program. Or you can go to the Chicken Coop and not plunge at all. You just get to pay a little bit. Or the Super Plunger, which is February 21st, where you plunge 20 times in 12 hours. How about the Special Olympics?